Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. Cultivating a lifestyle of generosity will transform every aspect of your life, marriage, family, relationship, and your finances. Join Michael Montoya from Jesus for Life Ministries as he reveals the truth to experiencing God's abundance and grace every day. Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. Today we are going to be studying Revelation chapter 16 to 18. So turn your Bibles to that. And the title is The Seven Bold Judgments and the Fall of Babylon. So let's look at Revelation 16 verses 1 and 2. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worship its image. A loud voice from the temple orders the seven angels to go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. These judgments are similar to the trumpet judgments in nature and sequence, but they are greater in intensity. The first bowl causes foul sores to break out on those who worship the beast and his image. Let's look at chapter 16, verses 3. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like the blood of dead persons, and every living thing in the sea died. The second plague turns the waters of the sea to blood, like that of dead men, and all marine life dies. So let's look at chapter 16, verses 4. The third angel poured out its bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. So the third bowl causes all water sources to become blood. Let's look at Revelation 16, verses 5 and 6. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were. For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. At this point, the angel of the waters defends the justice of God's judgments. Men are only receiving their just repents of their own sinful deeds. They had shed blood in abundance. Now they are being rewarded with blood to drink instead of water. It is their just due. Let's look at chapter 16, verses 7. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The altar probably symbolizes the souls of martyr saints. They had waited long and patiently for their prosecutors to be punished. Let's look at Revelation 16, verses 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had controlled over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fourth plague causes men to suffer severe sunburn or solar radiation. This does not, however, cause them to repent. Instead, they curse God for sending this scorching heat on them. Let's look at chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The fifth angel pours out plagues of darkness on the kingdom of the beast. 
This adds to men's suffering because they are not able to travel for relief from preceding afflictions. But it does not soften their hearts. They only become more settled in their hatred for God. Chapter 16, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. When the sixth bowl is poured out, the water of Euphrates dries up, permitting the armies from the east to march towards the land of Israel. Revelation 16, verses 13, 14. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. John sees three frog-like spirits issuing from the mouth of the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, Satan's counterfeit trinity. These are demonic spirits performing miracles to deceive the world's rulers and to lure them to climatic battle on the great day of God Almighty. Let's look at chapter 16, verses 15. Look, I came like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed, so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. At the mention of that battle, the Lord interjects a special blessing on the tribulation saints. Those who are watching for his return and who have kept themselves pure from the idolatrous worship of that day. He will come to the unsaved as a thief unexpectedly and causing loss. Let's look at chapter 16 verse 16. Then they gathered the kings together to go to the place that Hebrew calls Armageddon, which is Megiddo. This is commonly associated with the plain of Esdraelon. With Megiddo on the southern rim, it is reported that Napoleon called it the cockpit of the world, that is, the ideal battlefield. Let's look at chapter 16, verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. The wrath of God is finished as far as the tribulation period is concerned. Let's look at chapter 16, verses 18. Then there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and severe earthquakes. No earthquake like this that had ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. When the last bowl is poured out, there are violent convulsions of nature. Explosions, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake of unprecedented proportions. Chapter 16, verses 19. The great city splits into three parts. And the city of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. The great city of Babylon divided into three parts. Drinks the cup of God's fury. He has not forgotten her idolatry, cruelty, and religious confusion. At this time, the cities of the nations are laid flat. Chapter 16 verse 20. Every island and the mountain disappears as the earth reels. Chapter 16, verse 21. From the sky, huge hailstorms, even weighing about a hundred pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plagues of the hail, because the plague was so terrible. Can you imagine 100 pound hailstones bombard the earth? But men blaspheme God rather than repent. 
Let's look at the fall of Babylon the Great. Turn to Revelation chapter 17. We'll read verses 1 and 2. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth commit adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. One of the seven angels invites John to witness the judgment of the great harlot. This is a great religious and commercial system with headquarters in Rome. Many people believe that chapter 17 describes religious Babylon and chapter 18 the commercial aspect. Religious Babylon certainly includes apostate Christendom, both Protestant and Catholic. It may well represent the ecumenical church. Notice the description. The harlot sits on many waters, controlling great areas of the Gentile world. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. She has seduced political leaders with her compromise and her intrigue. So the inhabitants of the earth had become drunk with the wine of her fornication. Vast numbers have come under her evil influence and have been reduced to staggering wretchedness. Let's look at chapter 17, verse 3. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast and was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The apostate church is seen sitting on a scarlet beast. We have already noted in chapter 13 that the beast is the revived Roman Empire and sometimes the head of that empire. The beast is full blasphemous names and has seven heads and ten horns. Chapter 17 verses 4 the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adultery. For a while, the false church seems to dominate the empire. She sits in full celestial state, wearing the symbols of her vast wealth and displaying a golden cup full of her idolatry and immorality. Chapter 17, verses 5 a name of mystery is on her forehead, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abomination of the earth. This is the church that has shed the blood of Christian martyrs down through the centuries and is still doing it. She is drunk with their blood. If you look at chapter 17, verse 6, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Like many others, John marveled when he saw the woman intoxicated with the blood of the saints. This refers to the saints of all eras of church history, but especially to the martyrs of Jesus during the tribulation period. Let's look at Revelations chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has a seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw was once, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go into its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. The angel offers to explain John the mystery of the woman and the beast. The beast that John saw was the Roman Empire existed in the past. 
It is not. It broke up and no longer exists as a world empire today. It will ascend out of the bottomless pit. It will reappear in a particular diabolical form and go to perdition. It will be utterly and finally destroyed. The revival of the empire and the appearance of the charismatic leader will cause the world of unbelievers to marvel. Chapter 17, verse 9, the angel says that this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. A traditional interpretation is that the harlot has her headquarters in Rome, which is built on seven hills. Chapter 17, verse 10, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. But when he comes, he must remain for only a little while. Some commentators explain these seven kings as seven forms of Roman government. Others explain them as seven literal emperors. Others say that the kings represent great world powers, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greek, Rome, and the future revived Roman Empire. Let's look at chapter 17, verse 11. The beast, who once was and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seventh and is going to his destruction. The eighth king has been variously identified as the head of the revived Roman Empire and also the Antichrist. The exact meaning of this prophecy may never be perfectly cleared until it is fulfilled. Let's look at chapter 17, verses 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. The ten horns may symbolize the future kings who will serve under the Roman Empire. They will rule for one hour, that is, a short time. Chapter 17, verse 13. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. In other words, ten countries or governments surrender their national sovereignty to him. Chapter 17, verse 14. They will wage war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will triumph over them, because He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. This ten-kingdom empire goes to war against the Lord Jesus when He returns to earth at the end of the tribulation period. But they will meet their Waterloo in this battle. Though He is the Lamb, He is also Lord of Lords and King of Kings. His followers are called, chosen, and faithful. Let's look at chapter 17, verse 15. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are people, multitudes, nations, and languages. The harlot sits on the water in the sense that she dominates vast segments of the populace. Chapter 17, verse 16. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with the fire. It appears that the revived empire allows itself to be controlled or at least influenced by the harlot church for a while. Then, however, it throws off its intolerance, yoke, and destroys her. The hated harlot is stripped, consumed, and burned by the beast on which she sat. Chapter 17, verse 17. For God has put it in their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over the beast their loyal authority until God's words are fulfilled. God is behind the scenes of all of this. It is he who causes the kingdoms to unite under the Roman beast and then to turn against the harlot. 
It is all to fulfill his sovereign purpose. Let's look at chapter 17, verse 18. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. That city is Mystery Babylon, ruling over the kings of the earth. But as we have seen, the woman has her headquarters in Rome. Chapter 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. Chapter 18 consists primarily of the funeral song celebrating the fall of Babylon. As mentioned, this refers to the harlot church, which is not only a vast religious system, but perhaps the greatest commercial establishment in the world. It apparently controls the world market. When another angel with great authority comes down from heaven to break the news, it is as if the lights go on. His glory illuminates the earth. Let's look at chapter 18, verses 2. With a mighty voice he shouts, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. Babylon the Great has fallen and its ruins have become the haunt for demons, every foul spirit and unclean, hateful birds. Let's look at chapter 18, verses 3. For all the nations have drunk the maidening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. The reason for her fall is the utter corruption she has practiced with the nations and their merchants. She has made all the nations drunk with her passionate fornication. Chapter 18, verse 4. Another voice from heaven warns God's people to come out of the doomed system on the eve of its destruction. Intercourse with her would mean sharing her plagues. Chapter 18, verses 5 and 6. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Her sins have piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And it is lashing out against her right now. She is to receive double payment for her wicked deeds, not for God's people, but for the angel who is the instrument of his vengeance. Chapter 18, verses 7. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gives herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Her torment and sorrow will be proportionate to her self-aggrandizement and luxury lifestyle. She thinks of herself as queen, sitting on top of everything, safe from sorrow. Chapter 18, verses 8. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Her judgment will come in one day and will involve death and mourning and famine. It is the Almighty Lord God who will punish her with fire. Revelations 18 verses 9 and 10. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Testified at her torment, they will stand off far and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city. You mighty city of Babylon, in one hour your doom has come. 
The kings of the earth will laminate over the burning of their former mistress. Their mourning, however, is not unselfish. They sorrow over the loss of pleasure and luxury. Standing at a distance, they marvel at the extent of her torment and the sadness of her end. Revelations chapter 18 verses 11-13 The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spices of incense, myrrh and frankincense, and of wine and olive oil. Of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and cargoes, and human beings sold as slaves. The merchants mourn principally because their hope of gain is gone. No one buys their merchandise anymore. The list of products in that which Babylon traded seems to compass world trade. Precious metals, jewelry. Fabric, wood, ivory, bronze, iron, marble, spices, perfumes, wine, oil, grains, livestock, chariots, and bodies and souls of men. Both of the apostate church and the business world are guilty of trafficking in the souls of men. The church by the sale of indulgences, etc., and the business world by exploitation. Chapter 18, verses 14. They will say, the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The businessmen addressing the fallen system laminate that its hopes for profit have vanished, and its riches and splendor have disappeared suddenly and forever. Let's look at chapter 18, verses 15 and 16. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far away. Terrified at her torment, they will weep and mourn. And they cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. Like the kings, the merchants stand aghast, weeping and wailing that such profits were lost in an hour. They recount the former luxury of the city, how the people were finely clothed and adorned with jewels. Let's look at chapter 18, verses 17 19. In what hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin? Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailor and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like that great city? Now all the opulence has suddenly come to nothing, and the threat of a great depression hangs low. Those engaged in maritime commerce stands at a distance and cries, What could ever compare with this great city, they say. Let's look at chapter 18, verses 19. They will throw dust on their heads, and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she had been brought to ruin. They throw dust on their heads, they wail and they weep all over the city that had enriched the world maritime industry and now was ruined in one hour. Let's look at chapter 18, verse 20. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. 
Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. But while all these godless tears are being shedded on earth, there is a great rejoicing in heaven. At last, God has avenged his saints, apostles, and his prophets. He has judged Babylon for the way she treated his people. Chapter 18, verses 21. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large milestone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. So a mighty angel throws a stone like a great millstone into the sea, a graphic picture of the final doom of Babylon. Chapter 18, verses 22. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters, will never be heard in you again. No workers of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The sound of its former activities, whether music, manufacturing, or milling, is silenced forever. Let's look at chapter 18, verses 23. The light of a lamp will never shine in you. The voice of bridegroom and bridegroom will never be heard in you again. The merchants were the world's important people. By your magic, spell all the nations were led astray. So every light is extinguished and never again will the joy of a wedding be present. Why? Because Babylon's leader hoodwinkled all the nations with their sorcery. Let's look at chapter 18, verses 24. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. She was guilty of the blood of God's saints, of all believers who were slain for their faith. Now he is rewarding her full measure. I'd like to finish by giving everyone a chance to know Jesus better. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Prayer of salvation is our first real conversation with God. The prayer of salvation is the most important prayer you'll ever pray. When you're ready to become a Christian, you're ready to have our first real conversation with God. And these are the components. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God and that He came to the earth as a man in order to live the sinful life that we could not live. That He died in our place so that we would not have to pay the penalty we deserve. We confess our past life of sin, living for ourselves and not obeying God. We admit that we are ready to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We ask Jesus to come into our heart, take up residence there, and begin living through us. It begins with faith in God. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're letting God know we believe that His Word is true. By the faith that He has given us, we choose to believe in Him. The Bible tells us that without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 So when we pray, asking God for the gift of salvation, we're exercising our free will to acknowledge that we believe in Him. That demonstration of faith pleases God, because we have freely chosen to know Him. We are confessing our sin. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're admitting that we've sinned. As the Bible says of everyone, saved through Christ alone, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. To sin is simply falling short of the mark, as an arrow that does not quite hit the bullseye. The glory of God that we fell short of is found only in Jesus Christ. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge 
of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.6 So the prayer of salvation then recognizes that Jesus Christ is the only human who ever lived without sin. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 What we are doing is we are professing faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. With Christ as our standard of perfection, we're now acknowledging him as God. Agreeing with the Apostle John that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. Because God could only accept a sinless sacrifice because He knew that we could not possibly accomplish that. He sent His Son to die for us and pay the eternal price. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. Listen, if you want to say it today and mean it with your heart, don't wait a moment longer to start your new life with Jesus Christ. Remember, this prayer is not a magical formula. You are simply expressing your heart to God. And if you'd like to do that, Pray this prayer with me. Father, I know that I have broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I am truly sorry and I now want to turn away from my past sinful life towards you. Please forgive me and help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins, was resurrected from the dead, is alive, and hears my prayers today. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me obey you and to do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So now you prayed this and you're probably thinking, I prayed it, now what happens? If you prayed this prayer of salvation with true conviction in your heart, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a fact. Whether or not you feel any different, you are. Some religious systems may lead you to believe that you might feel something like a warm glow, a tingling, or some mystical experience. In fact, you might and you might not. If you have prayed the prayer of salvation and you meant it, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that your eternal salvation is secure. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans 10, 9. So welcome to the family of God. We encourage you to find a local Bible-based church where you can fellowship with other believers and grow in the knowledge of God through His Word, the Bible. This ministry is listener-supported. If you feel that you have benefited from this message from God, please consider helping to support this ministry and give a gift of any amount so we can continue to spread the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit on this platform. Go to JesusIsTheVoiceOfTruth.com and may the Lord richly bless you, your family, and friends. Until next time, God bless. And remember, Jesus is the voice of truth. I hope you enjoyed today's program. If you have any prayer requests or questions about Jesus is the voice of truth, we encourage you to email us at voiceoftruth411 at gmail.com or visit our website at jesusisthevoiceoftruth.com. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. Have a blessed day.